Chill out. Dickwad. Welcome to Arnie Geddon. I'm Cam Smith. And I'm Tony G. And we're here this week to talk about Terminator 2, Judgment Day. Oh yeah, and are we ever going to talk about it? Yeah, now this movie was ground zero for Arnold fans in the year of 1991. There was nothing bigger and maybe nothing as immense as this again. Like Terminator 2 was the hugest of deals. It was enormous. There, it, It's really hard to overstate just how big this movie was. What are your memories of that time period when it was released in theaters? You were pretty young, like we were around 10 or so, but do you have memories of Terminator 2 hype? Absolutely. I remember, I mean, it was hyped everywhere. They were relentless in the marketing of this film. Yeah, and they had a great teaser trailer. They where did. Where it was all original footage and it was like an assembly line of Terminators. And then Arnold comes out, and did he say, I said I'll be back or something? Something, something along those lines. I don't yeah. remember exactly, but I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you're saying the marketing was everywhere? Yeah, I mean, just the just the poster itself. Like, I mean, one of the reasons it's so iconic is because it was everywhere. Right. Yeah, I remember I had the Marvel comic adaptation, the first issue. I never got any of the others, but I had the first issue. Which is really just the setup stuff of them arriving on Earth. <laughs> I was like, nope, don't need any more than that. <laughs> I got that whole story now. But um, it's funny, like, my earliest memory of Terminator 2 is that, look, I wasn't allowed to see this movie in theaters. Oh, me neither. My parents were not taking me to this. But um, I remember I was in day camp, and the male counselors were all talking about Terminator 2 and how awesome it was. And they were probably around 17 or 18. But, of course, at that point, they looked like they were 45 to me. And they were just fawning over that movie. I remember in Day Camp, the movie I heard the counselors talk a lot about were that and uh, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Well, it's good that your counselors had uh, excellent taste, at least in action films. Yeah, Bill and Ted's pretty good, man. The Grim Reaper rap. Yeah, it's not bad. (laughs) Um, So what was your experience first seeing this movie? I probably didn't see it until a couple years later. I was maybe... When I'm thinking back, I was maybe 12 years old, and it was on um, it was on television. It was on the movie channel that that we discuss so often. Right. And I remember being very convinced that actually Arnold Schwarzenegger was the bad guy. Right. <laughs> and I remember being convinced, uh, and maybe and you know, watching the movie now as an adult, you're like, how was I ever taken in by that? But as a kid, I thought. That the T-1000, who was the police officer, yeah, uh, was the good guy. Obviously, and, uh, he's a police officer. And the Terminator the Terminator was the bad guy. I mean, yeah. how can a character named the Terminator right. be a good guy? <laughs> Never mind that they're both Terminators. <laughs> yeah, how about you? When, when did you first see it? Okay, I remember watching it really early when it hit home video. My dad rented it, and him and I sat downstairs and watched it while my mom sat upstairs. I don't know why. My mom was a big fan of the first Terminator. But for some reason, she just decided to draw the line at watching Terminator 2. <laughs> I have no idea. I don't even know what she was doing up there. It's not like anything interesting was going on. She just decided to sit it out for some reason. But uh, 
She ended up watching it later down the road, so I don't know what the deal was. But anyways, Dad and I watched it, and I remember it was just like, it was like a religious awakening for me. Because I'd seen, I think, Terminator, the TV, you know, cut of that. I'd seen probably Predator on TV. Not a whole lot else. Maybe Running Man on TV. But Terminator 2 just, like, blew my mind when I saw it. Like, it was unlike anything I ever expected. And I fell in love with it. I remember I bought it on VHS and I watched it over and over and over. It's one of the few VHS tapes I had, actually. And, uh, you know, I've seen this more than any Arnold movie, period. Yeah, I've probably seen Predator or Commando maybe more, but uh, certainly it's up there. I've probably seen this movie two dozen times. Right. And, you know, we said this movie was big. It was actually the biggest movie of the year, 1991. Uh, had a budget of $102 million. Um, it grossed 206 domestically, which was massive in those days. Uh, 315 worldwide. On the top five trailing behind it were Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, Beauty and the Beast, the Disney version, Silence of the Lambs, and City Slickers. Yeah, I'm pretty sure at the time it was... Either the most or one of the most expensive movies ever made. Cleopatra may have beaten it out. Uh, <laughs> well, adjusted for inflation, maybe. Yeah, but if you've seen Cleopatra, you know it's a it's a four-hour yeah. epic. But have you the, seen it? I have seen it. Yeah, me but, too. Yeah. But at the time, uh, Terminator Two, uh, in terms of raw dollars, I think it was the most expensive. Yeah, it um, was. Yeah. I think it's still up there with one of the most profitable sequels ever made and one of the biggest uh, openings ever made, ever. Yeah, I mean, it was a huge deal and it really... I mean, Arnold Mania already existed, but this movie really just kicked it into overdrive. And um, it was a movie that, like, always seemed like it was going to get made. Arnold always felt they had to make a sequel at some point. James Cameron, I think, was kind of down for it, but he was waiting for the tech to catch up to what he wanted to do. The Abyss was kind of a dry run in 1989 because you saw that CG tentacle in mm-hmm. that movie, and that was definitely him kind of warming up for what he would do with Terminator 2. Um, the rights for Terminator, there's a lot of legal mumbo-jumbo that caused the Terminator rights to be passed around. Because if you remember, it was, uh, and we talked about it on our Terminator podcast, it was originally owned by uh, the Hemdale Corporation, yeah. we, and we, we talked about those guys on our on our previous podcast, and uh, ultimately they sold it to... Carol Co. Now, Carol Co. was a new company. They were just coming off of Total Recall, and they wanted another follow-up to, to that movie that would be equally kind of an explosive, big sci-fi action movie, and Arnold really urged them to buy the rights to Terminator so that they could make a sequel. And they paid $5 million for it, which is pretty much peanuts. It, it's pretty interesting. When you think of uh, the, the Carolco company, mm-hmm. I mean, you talk to most people today and they have no idea what that is. Yeah. Right? Um, but they really were cranking out some of the biggest blockbusters of the day. Right. And, I mean, after Terminator 2, you know, they had a string of other movies, and I, I think it was the double header. The <laughs> last two movies I could find that they had done were Showgirls and Cutthroat Island. Um, yeah, two of the uh, biggest, most notorious box office bombs of all time. Yeah, like, Showgirls, I would imagine at this point, has probably become profitable. It's become kind of a cult classic. They put out collector's box sets and everything, the DVD and the Blu-ray. So, like, I have to believe probably just in terms of streaming rights and merch rights and all that sort of stuff, they've made their money back 
just not early enough. But Cutthroat Island, I don't think they ever got that money back. By the way, I would like to see what the merch from Showgirls looks like. <laughs> Get on eBay. I'm sure there's tons of it. Yeah. I but mean, I do remember they put out a box set which came with like velvet gloves or something. <laughs> really? I don't recall. Yeah. Uh, I'm not a, <laughs> not, not a huge fan of Showgirls. No, it's pretty boring. But, um, I mean, Cutthroat Island was a, a, a company killer and a career killer for pretty much everyone involved. Yeah, Matthew Modine was never a movie star again. <laughs> yeah, Gina Davis had a hard time recovering from yeah, it too yeah um and so ultimately yeah james cameron came on and i think carol co was really excited they had the team back together linda hamilton was coming back and then like they quickly realized that james cameron was an absolute nightmare <laughs> they compared him to a root canal and said like <laughs> you know no matter what like they wanted james cameron was like no shut up <laughs> give me more money and he went way over budget with this movie and uh, there was uh, one of his colleagues said later, like, James Cameron is a guy who doesn't need producers. Once he gets his money, leave him alone. He's off on his own. <laughs> and the thing about James Cameron is he always goes insane with his spending and just like, I don't care about budgets. I don't care about timelines. Whatever. Who cares? But he always pays them back. Like, his movies always make a fortune. So he seems like a lunatic, but then he delivers. And they're like, well, I mean, I guess we made it out of that one pretty good. <laughs> Yeah, no kidding. But I think uh, you do have to be a little bit worried, even if you're dealing with a bankable director, uh, right. when you've given him $120 million and he comes back for more. <laughs> well, we'll see how 20th Century Fox feels now that they're bankrolling four Avatar movies at the same time. Yeah, that's that's pretty unbelievable. Four at the same yeah. time. That's a, that's a bold move. The Only the man who's made you know Terminator 2, Titanic, and Avatar can get that sort of money locked down. Yeah, no kidding. And now... This movie was huge. It was critically acclaimed. It uh, won Oscars for makeup, sound, sound editing, and visual effects. It was nominated for editing and cinematography. It swept the MTV Movie Awards almost completely, with the exception of, like, Best Villain for Robert Patrick. Poor uh, Robert Patrick. But um, this movie was the big deal. Tony, revisiting it now, what was the experience like? As always, it's spectacular. I think when you list off those... Uh, those awards that it received. Especially the MTV Movie Awards. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> the coveted MTV Movie Awards. Linda Hamilton won Best Actress and Most Desirable Actress. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't know that. Yeah. But, but, I mean, this was a time when, um, when you know, period pieces, I think, were the classic Oscar bait. Sure. Uh, 91 was uh, Unforgiven. I think that was Silence of the Lambs, actually. Silence of the yeah, Lambs. Yeah, it was, yeah. Uh, Unforgiven was what ninety three. The next year, ninety two. Ninety two. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, period pieces, uh, high drama. Uh, I think Silence of the Lambs was actually a bit of an exception to that. But it's, yeah, like the only horror kind of movie to win Best Picture. Yeah, but you know, you gotta wonder if this was released today, we're seeing a little bit more of a loosening of the categories. If uh, you know, Linda Hamilton uh, or even some of the, some of the supporting cast might have gotten a little bit more recognition there. Well, I mean, if Mad Max Fury Road can get into the Best Picture category in the Oscars, you know, a couple of years ago, mm -hmm. Terminator 2 would have had a good chance if, it, if the categories had been a little more open back then. What is it about Terminator 2 that makes it endure so strongly? Well, it's actually pretty amazing because normally, here's a little behind the scenes of Arnie Geddon for you listeners out there. The way we do things is we sit down, we watch the film together, we make some notes, we 
pause it where we need to. Um, that for Terminator 2, uh, it was lucky because in virtue of us both having seen it so many times, we weren't able to do that because I was called away for work. So I actually watched this film episodically in right. kind of half hour chunks uh, on my laptop in a hotel room and on my cell phone <laughs> on a plane ride. The way James Cameron intended. Exactly. Well, that's just it. Is it really, having seen the movie so many times and being blown away every time, it really actually highlighted for me that uh, just what a big movie this is yeah. and how inadequate a laptop or a cell phone <laughs> is for watching this film. Just the the opening scenes of the future, of the, the right. war against Skynet. One of the greatest pre-credit sequences ever. Yeah, it's it's amazing, but... Just watching that on my laptop, uh, you know, out of the the tiny little uh, Mac speakers. Yeah. All I could think was, oh man, I I wish I had speakers for this thing. I wish I could hear the sound yeah. of the uh, of the Skynet aircraft and right. the, and the robots shooting people. And everything about this movie is big. Yeah. The the effects are big. The sound is big. Um, the, the characters are the big. The characters are big. And uh, the bigger the screen and the bigger the sound system, the better for this movie. I was really lucky to last year catch this movie in its like two-week engagement playing in 3D at one of the theaters downtown here in Vancouver. It only played in, I think, 371 theaters. And it didn't really do that well for this 3D re-release. It made about a million dollars. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, I mean, the Titanic re-release in 3D did significantly better. Um, but I actually thought uh, the Terminator 2 one was more interesting to see in 3D than Titanic. I really like Titanic. I'm not bagging on that movie. Just in terms of the transfer, I thought James Cameron did more interesting things with Terminator 2. Draw me like one of your French girls. <laughs> <laughs> and it's interesting. He did do one little change. Uh, you can actually make out the stuntman's face on Arnold Schwarzenegger on the bike in the uh, chase in the uh, like the viaduct. In uh, the you know the normal home video versions, and James Cameron swapped it and put a CG Schwarzenegger face on. Yeah, I was thinking I was actually out of town. You were. I remember texting you to go to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I'm not generally a huge fan of tacking on 3D to non-3D sure. movies, um, but I, I'd I'd love to have seen it. Yeah, it was an interesting novelty way to see it, and I'd never seen it in theaters at that point, so it was very exciting. But you know, I was lucky to see it, yeah, a year ago, so it was still kind of fresh in my memory, and I rewatched it again today. And, like, this movie, you know, you nailed it. This movie has huge scale. It's something that James Cameron brings to movies that I just don't think people appreciate as much as they should, and that he brings serious scale to every movie. Even, like, a movie like the original Terminator, which was far lower budget, it feels immense. It feels like it's just a whole world unto itself. So when it's over, you're just like, wow that was a complete experience and you can see how he's taken that to titanic and avatar and the abyss and all these movies but you know each one he has more and more money but i mean terminator 2 it's big but a lot of it is focused on just basic character interactions you know it has huge action but a lot of it is just a trio of people on the run and to me like it's just riveting throughout like this is i think Probably the most accomplished film in Arnold's filmography. I think people can argue whether it's their favorite or not, but I think on a technical level, I don't think there's anything better than this movie. Yeah, I I mean, and that goes not just for Schwarzenegger films. It is truly one of the most technically accomplished films I think that's ever been made. 
Yeah. Uh, uh, I mean, and it really is hard to overstate the influence I think that it's had on, on films going forward. I think that this one and maybe Jurassic Park have got to be two of the most influential movies on special effects that and nothing I think really matched that until maybe Avatar came out. Well, yeah, I mean, those two movies, Jurassic Park and Terminator 2, very much ushered in the age of CG, for better or worse. But, you know, you look at how they used it, and you can't fault them for doing it so well. Before that, you know, we had all practical, and then they came in and just wowed us with things we'd never seen before on screen. And, I mean, we can uh, grumble about CG in movies in the ages since those two films were released, but they did it so well that... You know, I can recall the optimism I had at the time for what future movies could bring. Little did I realize I'd be seeing stuff like The Mummy Returns <laughs> and seeing The Scorpion King bound about the screen or, or Mortal Kombat Annihilation and stuff like that. Stop naming movies that I actually really enjoy. <laughs> but but I know what you mean. I, and I think part of it had to do with um, maybe another movie like that might be like The Matrix or something like that. Sure, yeah. Um, where... The directors were pushing boundaries, but were aware of the limits of the technology because and how to mix with because, practical because that was as far as it had gone before, yeah, yeah. and um, and as a result, uh, you know, were very careful about overextending themselves in a way that looked too phony. Yeah, and I think it is worth pointing out though that uh, both Jurassic Park and uh, Terminator Two, the special effects were overseen by Dennis Murin, who. It went on to do like the uh, Star Wars prequels. He's one of the great visual effects guys of all time. He's not a name that people know. Like people know the name Stan Winston. Yeah, yeah. you know who did, of course, Predator and Jurassic Park. But um, in in terms of the dino models and all that sort of stuff. But I mean, Dennis Murin is one of those guys that kind of slips by. No one really knows his name, but he does incredible work. And of course, Stan Winston was also working on Terminator Two. Yeah, of course, on the makeup. Yeah, I mean, he won an Oscar for that, mm -hmm. and damn well he should have because the Arnold makeup in this as the Terminator when he's kind of beaten up and broken down is incredible. Took him five hours in the chair and an hour to take off, but man, does it look good! Oh, it looks spectacular. A little bit better than that puppet in uh, <laughs> the Terminator. <laughs> yeah, they had a bigger budget and they used it appropriately. Yeah, that's the thing. James Cameron will take all your money, but it's all <laughs> going to be on the screen. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's not like Hercules Goes Bananas, where it's $300,000 that disappeared down the toilet. Now, speaking of where that money was spent, uh, you know, what do you think about um, the set pieces in this movie and the pacing between them? Yeah, I mean, okay, we should, like, maybe talk about some of our favorite action stuff. But in terms of just, like, the pacing, it is absolutely incredible. Because these action scenes are incredibly propulsive. And James Cameron directs action better than, I mean, I think any living director. Um, and... Uh, you know, all these moments are such huge, explosive wow moments that you'd think, you know, in a more mundane movie, you'd kind of be waiting for the next one to roll around. You know, the movie would slow down. But it never feels like that. I think there's something that James Cameron brings to these Terminator movies, which is a real sense of propulsive momentum. Like, you really feel like you are being pulled through this story with these characters. And, you know, he did it in the first one on, you know, very little money. But you could tell that when he did this one, he wanted to do it bigger but with the same intensity. Like, you still feel like you're being pulled through this thing fast-paced, even though the production itself must have been just, like, immense to oversee. Oh, it yeah. It still has that fast pace of almost like a guerrilla filmmaker, like, speeding through his setups. Yeah, absolutely. And just the way it just jumps from piece to piece, and even though, I mean, this movie is just 
full of expository dialogue. Sure. I mean, that's most of what the characters say. <laughs> you know, you work for Cyberdyne Systems? Well, let me explain to you what they did. Yeah. Um, you know, and yeah. kind of look sideways at the audience as they do it. Sure. But um, but you never really feel like what they're doing is explaining things for the benefit of the audience. Right. Um, and before you know it, you're back in another big action scene. Yeah, I mean, Earl Bowen swings by playing Dr. Silverman again. <laughs> Good old Earl Bowen. We've had a few, uh, we've had a few uh, run-ins with Earl Bowen on this podcast, which <laughs> I don't know if we need to revisit them. <laughs> but he shows up and delivers this whole exposition dump about Sarah Connor and her backstory. I actually think this is one of the few sequels that you don't have to watch the original to get well i hadn't you had yeah you hadn't seen the original right yeah mind you i was just a you know a, a dorky preteen, so right. uh yeah i wouldn't put too much stock in uh in what my opinion of the movie was at the time <laughs> so let's talk about some of these big action scenes because i think that's what a lot of people remember from these movies like there is that scene down the viaduct the bike chase, which I think is still one of the greatest chases I've ever seen in a movie. And it's possibly the most iconic action scene from the Terminator 2 film. Oh, that's an interesting call. Yeah, you might be right. I, yeah, you know, I, I think you are right, yeah. I mean, I would say maybe like the fight scene with the T-1000 in the liquid metal uh, facility at the end, maybe? But no, I, I think you are right. Like that bike sequence is I mean, everyone, incredible. everyone remembers that. yeah. And just the practical stunt work going on, that semi driving under the overpass and just ripping off the whole top of it. Or just driving off of the bridge to begin oh, with. Oh, incredible. Um, but you know what I always, uh, I always like the most about that scene? With, with all the trucks uh, being driven off of things and bikes being driven off of things. Yeah. For me, constantly the highlight of that film is the shotgun reload. <laughs> yes. Oh the, my God, yes. Uh, you know, where Schwarzenegger... Uh, takes the shotgun and just, um, you know, when he goes to reload it, I'm not even really sure about the physics of how this would work, but flips it like a lever action in a John Wayne film. Well, he's a cyborg, so maybe he can do it better yeah, than most. Maybe, but it, it just looks amazing. It looks, it looks great. Yeah, and this movie has amazing chases, because there's the one later, of course, with the uh, the helicopter chasing them down the road too and it's just incredible uh, the, pi stuff. the pickup truck being chased by another big truck full yeah of, the semi full yeah. of, full of uh, liquid, uh nitrogen. liquid nitrogen one of my favorite shots in that actually I, i'm just gonna throw this out there because i may forget later is when that big semi has flipped over and arnold is like standing on it as and like surfing it through that uh, warehouse i I'm just in awe of that shot. Like, I remember going to see The Dark Knight in theaters. And I remember that was a period of time where blockbusters were really clogging themselves. Like, just silly with big CG messy stuff. Mm -hmm. And marketing the hell out of those moments. And I remember going to see The Dark Knight. And the audience just exploding into applause in that sequence where he flips the semi upside down. Mm -hmm. Which is just such a basic effect. It's not a huge world-ending swirl of CG. But the audience applauded that. And then, you know, at all these other movies I went to, you know, that year, the year before, the year since, no one claps at these big CG showcase moments. Mm -hmm. You know, it's these big practical moments that just have such an impact. And, like, I'll forget most of the CG action in the majority of the blockbusters I've seen. But I'll never forget Arnold surfing on that semi. Like, it just looks incredible. Yeah, I, my, my favorite scene from that particular 
chases. Actually, where uh, Schwarzenegger is leaning out of the truck and uh, passes the the wheel to, over to John Connor. You yeah. Know, take the wheel for a moment. And then uh, crawls across the truck and onto the hood of the... Uh, of the semi truck, yeah, uh, and just point blank unloads a machine gun at the T one thousand. It's so good, <laughs> it's so amazing. Yeah, I mean, even like the 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 fist fight you get to see at the Galleria between uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger and uh, Robert Patrick. I love that I finally got to see two Terminators fight, and it had impact and weight. And they these two actors move like they are heavy. Like you don't, you never feel like. Boy, here's two guys being flailing around and looking kind of awkward. Like, it, they feel like they weigh, you know, 500 pounds or whatever a Terminator weighs. I think it was James Cameron who who described them as wanting the T-1000 to be more like a Porsche. Yes. And uh, and the the T-800 Model 101. <laughs> <laughs> to be <laughs> to a be, tank. To yeah. be a Sherman tank, right? And, and it does really feel like that. Um, at the same time, throughout the film, Schwarzenegger and Cameron have a very good sense of when it makes sense to have the Terminator move fast, right. and when it makes sense for him to have uh, a slow walk towards, say, a group of sure. <laughs> hapless policemen. <laughs> and then this movie was really, really shot out of sequence. Uh, so much so that like Arnold Schwarzenegger has said since that like he really had no idea what was going on. Right. Um, but it's you know just a testament to James Cameron's skills that he was able to track all this moment to moment, and it never feels like confused at all. This movie feels incredibly concise in terms of what it's doing. There's never these moments where you feel like, what is going on? And what we should say actually is, um, it is not a concise movie. No. It's a. Uh, it's what about two and a half hours? Uh, just under about yeah. two fifteen. Yeah. Uh, the movie that we did watch, and actually, I should, I hope you watched the same one I did. Is there is a director's cut out there yeah. that has an additional fifteen or twenty minutes worth of footage? Um, that's not the one that we we watched, and yeah, we'll, we'll we'll maybe revisit those scenes at a later date. Yeah, that might be interesting to do. Talk about the extended version of Terminator the, Two, the different ending, and everything yeah, else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, let's get into some of the character stuff because to me. Like, this movie is just genius in the way it brings its characters together. Each one of them is so interesting unto themselves. Let's start with, like, Sarah Connor. Because I feel like it would have been so easy to bring back the same Sarah Connor from the first movie. And just have her be, again, on the run, kind of scared and not knowing what to do. I love that they have taken this character on a complete journey between movies. And it's filled in, as you said, with some exposition. But it feels... True to the character. And I mean, Linda Hamilton worked her butt off for this movie. She trained under an Israeli commando. She is spectacular in this movie. Yeah. She really is. Um, and, you know, everyone always remembers this as the Schwarzenegger movie. And, mm. and she doesn't get enough credit in this film for I think being... she gives the best performance in the movie. Yeah, she is amazing. Unlike some of the other Schwarzenegger films that we've reviewed that maybe don't have the most powerful female characters. Say what? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, she is an ass-kicking destruction machine. Yeah. She's a Terminator unto herself. Yes. And I love that this character has been given this sort of tragic backstory between movies and is in a, a mental asylum when we first see her. Uh, and, and there's like some really just rough stuff to watch of... Her, like, pleading to be put in lower security so she can see her son. That really creepy scene where the security guard or, in, or the... The intern the, or whatever, the, whatever, he whatever he is licks her face. A scene that I remember seeing that the first time. And it's 
absolutely sickened me every time I've ever seen it. It's not even like a scene that, say, is graphic as something, you know, you might see in a more brutal movie. But there's something about it that's so awful that it really sticks with you in a way that, I mean, I'm, you know, it's just a testament to James Cameron again. Like, he takes these little moments and they just stick with you. Terminator 2 is just filled with, not moments this unpleasant, but moments that you just never forget once you've seen them. Mm -hmm. It's so nice to see that guy just get the crap beat out of him. Although, I do think he got off a little too easy. Yeah, for a movie with this many people getting killed. Yeah, there's a lot of collateral damage in this movie, which I appreciate. Yeah, although none of them by the uh, by the T-800. Right. But I would have liked if this guy had been a, a bit of a casualty once the T-1000 showed up. Yeah, of all the people in the film, yeah. he, he was probably the one most most deserving of a couple couple gunshots to the kneecap. You gotta kill John Connor's, you know, step-parents, but this guy gets off the hook. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sorry, foster parents and dog. <laughs> but, you know, Linda Hamilton is the character who kind of goes on the biggest journey in this movie. Because when we first see her... She is, I mean, basically suffering from PTSD. That was not a, a term that people referred to back then, but that's what this character is going through. And we see her over the course of this movie not fall in love with the Terminator in the terms of, like, becoming its friend or anything or looking at it as, as like, you know, an equal, but it's about her developing respect towards it. And I really like that journey because it would have been very easy to have her being at the end, like, you know, like John Connor being like, don't go, Terminator, don't go. But I like that she's like, nope, he's got to go. But still being like, thank you very much. You <laughs> yeah. know, like, you feel like she's probably not going to look back at the end of her life and be like, boy, that Terminator was a great friend of mine. But she respected him by the end of the film for what he'd done for them. Yeah, well, you look at the jump of from Linda Hamilton uh, or Sarah Connor in the first film. Yeah. Where she's kind of, you know, kind of like a little bit ditzy. Sure. A little bit of a party girl. Yeah. And and where she ends up in this movie, and it just really underscores, you know, well Linda Hamilton's range to begin with. Yeah. Um, but also, like, like you said, the work that she put in. I mean, she she is very convincingly uh, a seriously destructive force. And, yeah. And her her journey, though, it's you know, she does have a pretty single minded devotion towards uh, first of all protecting John, and then mm -hmm. second of all preventing the apocalypse. Right. But even then, she kind of gets over that and realizes that we we all got to have a little touch of humanity. <laughs> and uh, Linda Hamilton, originally, they wanted her to look a lot rougher. James Cameron actually wanted a scar across her face. He wanted her to look like Tom Berenger in the movie Platoon. Mm. But ultimately, that was decided against. But yeah, the Israeli commander who trained her has the best name ever. Her name was Uzi Gal. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> Apparently Tom Berenger was actually in discussions to play Sarah Connor. <laughs> but turned it out he couldn't fit into the dress. <laughs> but he tried. <laughs> yeah, he tried. <laughs> okay, well let's talk about Robert Patrick. Because Robert Patrick he was, was such he, an interesting choice. He was uh, pretty much unknown at this yeah, point. Yeah, I'd never seen him in anything at this point. Mm -hmm. I mean, he was in Die Hard 2. Playing just one of the random terrorists in that movie, but that's right. And I mean, I mean, of course, since that time, he's really established himself as you know a notoriously dependable actor. Yeah, uh, who's by all accounts a pleasure to work with and shows up prepared and uh, ready to work. Yeah, he's like um, Johnny Cash's father and walked the line. He played Doggett on the latter seasons of the X Files. Uh, he's done tons of stuff. I remember he had a really funny cameo playing the T-1000 in Wayne's World, uh, was it 1? I think it was 1. Yeah, it was Wayne's World 1. I can't remember. I know the scene you're talking about. Yeah, it was about, definitely though. Wayne's World 1. Um, but, uh, you know, Robert Patrick in this movie, I know he said he based his performance on a shark. 
and that you know sharks are always kind of moving forward and they just never stop moving and he said he wanted that kind of sleekness and you know again you said James Cameron envisioned a Porsche similar idea and uh, the T1000 interesting in that Robert Patrick isn't someone you look at and go like oh man could that guy kick my butt you the way you do with Arnold in the first Terminator but there's something about him that's just so insidious and he has that blankness to his he, face. He's a pretty menacing character. Yeah. I actually think he's pretty, uh, I mean, as dependable and highly regarded an actor as he is, I, st- I think he is a little bit undervalued as a heavy. Yeah, no, I agree. Do you know who they originally wanted for this part? No. Okay, you're you're going to be amazed at this one. Billy Idol. Billy Idol? Yes. Billy <laughs> Idol was who they wanted. And ultimately, he couldn't do it because he broke his leg in a motorcycle accident. I mean, I knew he broke his leg in a motorcycle accident. Was it during the filming of (laughs) of Terminator 2? No, it was not. Uh, I mean, I I love Billy Idol's music, um, but I'm glad they went with Robert Patrick. (laughs) Would have been a whole other world if Billy Idol played the T-1000. He would have had an Austrian robot. He would have had... uh, uh, what is Billy Idol? English or sure, I guess <laughs> English or Irish. I don't want to get that one wrong. If Billy Idol is in Terminator Two, does he have a song on the soundtrack? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, instead <laughs> of Guns and Roses. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. You know the combination of Robert Patrick's performance and the special effects in this movie, Dennis Muren's team at ILM. You know they have an amazing mixture of practical and CG for pulling off all these moments that when I saw them. I honestly didn't know how they'd done it. Like these gaping gunshot wounds in the T-1000, those are all like mostly practical. Yeah. With a split head and things like that. Yes, I mean, a lot of practical. I mean, there's obviously a lot of digital here. Some of the Mm -hmm. digital now, you know, it's showing its age. Well, he's generally emerging from very blank surfaces, Mm -hmm. which is a sign of early CG where it's like, yeah, there's like a checker pattern, but it's very basic and it's the sort of thing that early computers could replicate. You're not seeing them come out of like like the uh, like the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. No, no, exactly. You know, it does show its age a little bit, but uh, like a lot of the great effects and great movies, um, it doesn't take away from the movie at all. Not at all. And I mean, sequences where he's like chasing after the car with the hooks on his hands. They're just amazing. Oh, it's just incredible. And I can see why the Simpsons spoofed it and did it so well. (laughs) I feel like, uh, you know, it's funny. I feel like coming off of our last episode. uh, I know one classic to another. (laughs) Off of Hercules. uh, Hercules in New York and now now Terminator 2. Um, I mean, we didn't have enough negative to say about Hercules in New York, so n- now I feel like I just want to make that clear. We're not, <laughs> yeah. we're not, we're not just uh, saying this about every Schwarzenegger film. It's no. ju- it just really is, um, <laughs> obviously, a movie close to our hearts. <laughs> uh, let's talk about Arnold himself. I mean, what an icon he was at this point in time. He would have big hits coming up with like True Lies. But this may have been the pinnacle of Arnold as I, icon. I don't think he he ever had anything that came close to this. No. Uh, I mean, um, he he obviously released a few big movies after this. A uh, couple that were poorly reviewed at the time. Last Action Hero, I think, was the next one. Yeah. And then um, Junior, I think. Last Action Hero was 93. Uh, Junior was 94. And you had, yeah, True Lies in 94 as well. And then Batman and Robin. Yeah, Eraser. Uh, Yeah, and you can kind of see, I mean, these movies, you know, are kind of hit and miss. And then gradually, you know, Eraser and then then just kind of a downhill decline from there. 
Yeah. Um, from from the Arnold of the 80s and the early 90s. And, I mean, this movie was truly the zenith of of his career, I think. Now, what did you make of his performance this time around? You know, it's interesting um, because, you know, watching it for the podcast, I was watching it for different reasons. And especially having, I was thinking about the, the first Terminator movie. It's um, very interesting how much more humor right. uh, and character are both Schwarzenegger and Cameron were able to give uh, the Terminator and the T-1000 for that matter. People don't give James Cameron credit enough for being funny. I know that in real life he's known to be pretty much a notorious <laughs> jerk on set. Although I've heard he's mellowed now that, you know, he's kind of in this Avatar era. Um, but back in the day he was known for just screaming on set. But his movies are often really funny. Even Titanic has some really funny stuff with Kathy Bates. And I mean in Terminator 2 there's some great stuff given to Terminator. Like I love um, when Arnold first walks into like the biker bar and has to get the clothes off the bikers. <laughs> That's right. And you would see in the movies coming up, they would start to really stretch as to where Arnold was going to get his biker gear from. <laughs> yeah. But it yeah, just well, is played as like very violent and comedic at the same time. It's really fun. Well, you got. I mean, you got to think. You, you look at the first movie where uh, Arnold as the Terminator was a robotic killing machine, right? I don't he, think that movie's funny at all, is it? No, I don't think so. I mean, he was like the the shark in Jaws. Yeah. Right? And uh, I think we talked about that at the time, Probably, actually. yeah. And, um, you know, you think about making a sequel that's bigger and badder. And, um, you know, if if the Terminator had just been the same Terminator from the first one, yeah. you know, I think it would have been a, a lot darker and a lot more of a, a slog of a movie. So the fact that they give him some lines, they allow John Connor to teach him a few uh contemporaneous uh catchphrases yeah that's the only thing that really dates this movie is it's 90s slang <laughs> yeah i think it still works so and also also <laughs> no a little, problemo yeah also a little bit of uh, physical comedy in there as well yeah um i think it's actually good it, it it really adds to the character it adds to the movie without uh without taking away from how dangerous and menacing the terminator is you can really see how much arnold schwarzenegger has grown as an actor between the uh what uh seven years between terminator movies mm -hmm. you know in the first one he's given very little dialogue he's very convincing as a physical you know threatening presence but he's not given a lot of heavy lifting whereas in terminator 2 he's a movie star like not only is he a, again a great physical presence but you can tell that probably the movie twins has given him a lot more confidence in his comedic ability mm -hmm. and so you were seeing him pull off these really funny moments with the terminator and I really love the relationship he has with John Connor. I think Arnold Schwarzenegger's playing a machine, but I think he finds a way to actually bring warmth to the character without making it seem like you're kind of making the Terminator kind of like wussy. Like it doesn't feel like he's softening the Terminator, but it feels like he's able to find these kind of glimmers of emotion in the character. Yeah, and I know that that was a bit of a complaint about... Um... Certainly, the the next Terminator movie, Terminator Three, yeah. was that it was a little bit too slapstick. It went a little bit too far. Yeah. Um. And I don't know how much of that was just not having Cameron on board. Right. Or you know maybe Schwarzenegger was a bit out of practice. Yeah. But or maybe it just wasn't as good a movie. But he, he in Terminator Two, he really does uh, bring uh, bring a, like you said a little bit of warmth. And for that matter, Robert Patrick, I wouldn't say warmth. <laughs> but just some of the character, some of the characterizations he has, um, you know that scene in the in the steel mill where Sarah Connor's 
just about to shoot him off the edge and uh is, is that the moment he has the finger wave yeah he does the finger oh wave. yeah I, I i remember that finger wave being like oh man this is one scary dude yes but i mean yeah getting back to arnold what i really like too is how they use him as an action hero character now i know arnold had real concerns about playing the terminator again and having the terminator not kill people because you know that kind of removes the menace of what a terminator is but i think they have a lot of fun with the terminator coming back and still taking down people but doing it non-violently yeah. or i mean not, not maybe not non-violent not yeah. maybe not non-violently there's a lot of limping police officers <laughs> yeah, in this non, movie non-fatally and you know i like that he's kind of that boy and his dog story with john connor where john connor gets to tell him what to do and we get these amazing action sequences of the terminator just laying waste to police officers but not killing anyone yeah just um you know, uh, laying that minigun down. I, th I think, by the way, I think that Terminator 2, along with the Predator, has really cemented the minigun uh, in popular culture and other movies and video games for probably the next 200 years. I'll give you a little bit of trivia on that. That's the same gun. Oh my goodness, they really? Used, they used the same one in Predator <laughs> and Terminator 2. Well... That's that warms my heart. That you want, gun you want to have, talk about warming my heart? That gun should have its prints outside Man's Chinese Theater in uh, in Hollywood. <laughs> yeah. Well, without getting too far into the character of the minigun. Yeah. Um. I mean, what did you think about uh, Edward Furlong as John Connor? I mean, obviously uh, Eddie Furlong. This was a. Uh, I think it was his first role. It was. Yeah. Bre breakout it was role. Didn't even uh, really want to be an actor. Yeah, and he's obviously had uh, a lot of trouble since then with uh, substance abuse and some domestic issues, and you know, uh, hopefully he he's moved past or is moving past those. But in terms of how he was, as I think he was thirteen when this was filmed. Yeah, probably about that. Yeah. Playing a ten-year-old, he's a little little looks a little, a little bit of a stretch. Looks a little older than ten, but I'm jealous of his hair. Yeah, I mean <laughs> that that was 1991. thirteen-year-old yeah. uh, hair if I've ever seen it. But did you have that kind of hair? Uh, at some point, I must have had. The, I couldn't pull that off. <laughs> I probably couldn't pull it off either. <laughs> but um. I mean, what did you think about how uh, how Eddie Furlong did as John Connor? Eddie Furlong is interesting in that I've noticed over the years his performance has gotten a lot of flack and that a lot of people point him out as being kind of annoying in the movie. Um, I think he works for the movie because he, he always feels like a kid. I never get the sense that like he's like a spooky child actor like Dakota Fanning where you're like, this is a child who has the mind of a senior citizen or something. You know what I mean? Where they feel too mature for their age. Like, Eddie Furlong feels like that kind of rebellious kid. And he's a little bit screechy in places. And to be fair to Eddie Furlong, I think if anyone is given some clunky dialogue in this movie, it's him. Yeah, that's true. I, I mean, I don't think he did uh, a bad job. I mean, you definitely get the impression that maybe James Cameron is... Uh, you know, writing the James Cameron version of a 10-year-old. Yes. But not only that, this kid had never been in a movie before. He has to do a lot of carrying in this movie. Like, John Connor has a lot of dialogue. Yeah, he has a lot to do. And he's also next uh, to some people who are either established pros or people who would go on to be established pros. Yeah. I mean, it can't be... Uh particularly uh, confidence building to walk into your first job acting opposite Arnold Schwarzenegger and Linda Hamilton. 
No, um, but and you know, and you look at uh, other child actors or young actors in Schwarzenegger movies. You know, Ernie Reyes Jr. Yeah, and Red classic, Sonia, yeah. and you want to compare the two, and you can really see uh, where a child actor can go wrong. If you want to go and pick up uh, Red Sonia or or give our podcast a listen, I think we went on for quite a bit about the yeah. problems with him. Whereas the the Ed Furlong character, I mean, there are a couple lines where you're like, ah. Yeah, that that's not the most fortunate line, but it doesn't really detract from the movie in a big way. No, I don't think so at all. I know that um, when The Sixth Sense came around, there was a lot of talk about how amazing Haley Joel Osment was in that movie. And a lot of the talks swirled around how it really emphasized not only the director, M. Night Shyamalan, but also Bruce Willis for working together with a child actor. And, you know, there was a lot of talk about how you don't get great child performances unless you have a great actor opposite them, and a director who knows how to guide them. And I think that really does underscore James Cameron as someone who knows how to get the best out of Edward Furlong by putting him opposite great actors, but also probably giving him the guidance he needs. James Cameron, known to be a bit of a tyrant on set, but I have to believe he was probably very good with Edward Furlong because I just don't see him screaming at this kid the whole time and getting a performance this solid. You'd have to hope so. I actually think it was a, you know, it would have been interesting to see if um, they had taken Ed Furlong back for Terminator 3 instead of going with Nick Stahl. Right. Um, yeah, that was yeah. too bad. I, I mean, I imagine it, it must have had something to do with um, with Furlong's reliability at the yeah. time. Um, although it turns out, you know, Nick Stahl's had his own <laughs> known issues and demons. Yeah, there's kind of a curse of uh, John Connor actors. Yeah, yeah, unfortunately. But, um, I mean, as far as a 13-year-old kid playing a 10-year-old kid next to Schwarzenegger and Linda Hamilton and Robert Patrick go, yeah, in a movie like this where you're, you've got to have a fairly big range of uh, emotion... Yeah, no, I agree. He, he did, a, I think, a pretty good job. I, I think he's unfairly... Uh, beaten up a little bit. People love to beat up child actors. Yeah, they really do. No wonder so many child actors develop complexes after their movies come out, like Jake Lloyd in Star Wars Episode One. Like, yeah, that poor guy. Hey, <laughs> wizard. Like, how could any kid recover from that? Yeah, I know. I mean, they. I mean, what do you expect? That kid was what six? <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> yeah, you're not going to get a Bogart uh, performance out of a six-year-old. <laughs> Now, there's one other character I want to talk about, and he's one that doesn't pop into people's heads when they think of Terminator 2, but he's really important to that movie. Miles? Uh, yeah, Miles Dyson, played oh, yeah. by uh, Joe Morton. And now this character, he's introduced in a way where you're like, well, how interesting is this guy going to be? He's like pulling the arm out of a vault and what have you, and the chip from the Terminator's head from the first movie. But to me, he brings so much humanity to this movie... I feel so terrible for Dyson throughout this movie. Yeah, and his family. And his, oh, especially his family. There's a scene, uh, I think, you know, everyone knows it, where Sarah Connor lays waste to Miles Dyson's house with an assault rifle. Yeah. And just the sheer terror on their family's face is, like, really upsetting. Like, it actually does really paint Sarah Connor as a scary individual in that moment. Mm-hmm. Well, it's it's almost a shame, um, and I mean Joe Morton did a great job playing yeah. him. Uh, Their reaction to when Arnold peels off his arm haunts me, because they look really scared. Yeah, I mean, just on a tangent there for a sec. I mean, Schwarzenegger has a very limited amount of damage at this point. He's been shot in the back. Yeah, I thought it was a little bit unnecessary to have him uh, pull the the skin off of his arm from elbow to yeah. hand. Uh, it, it seemed like. 
like a little bit of overkill. But it looked so cool. It looked pretty cool. <laughs> and it looked pretty horrific. It did. But, you know, Joe Morton goes with them, you know, to break into Cyberdyne to, you know, grab the arm and the chip. He is killed in this sequence. And there is a scene where he's, like, panting and holding the detonator. And, like, I've seen so many people die in movies. But Joe Morton's death in Terminator 2 has, like, really stuck with me. Yeah, he sells it. You buy that he died in that movie. Like, yeah. Joe Morton didn't make it out of Terminator 2. <laughs> yeah, no, ab- absolutely. And when he dies, you, f- you feel bad for him. And, you and fe- his family. And you feel bad for his family. With poor kid with a remote control car. Yeah, yeah, it's awful. <laughs> but he he does stick with you throughout the movie. And it's, you know, this character that in another movie could have felt so tacked on. Mm-hmm. Because it's not like he's a huge personality throughout the movie you only get you know one little moment with him early on and then he shows up later he's not a character who's recurring throughout yeah and he plays a pretty pivotal role too in restoring uh sarah connor with a little bit of humanity oh definitely definitely so let's just talk overall about some of the other moments that stick out to you there's so much genius in this movie that you know they aren't just confined to the action sequences or some of the jokes but like one moment that really jumped out to me is a moment when they're in, is it New Mexico? And they're preparing to do the invasion and, you know, they're gathering weapons and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, I mean, that's where it becomes pretty clear that the Terminator is not just a Terminator. He's kind of also a like a, a walking Swiss army knife. Sure. Who can uh, pull back uh, heavy sheets of steel to get some weapons. Right. Uh, he can fix trucks, but... Um, but yeah, I know. I, I mean, the scene that you're talking about where they go and they meet up with apparently some of Sarah Connor's old contacts. Right. But there's a moment in there that I absolutely love. And it's the Terminator is just like watching to make sure nothing happens to them overnight. And you see him um, sitting there in the night staring out the door. And then the camera fades and it's daylight again. And, and he's, he's in the and exact he's, same position. Yeah, I know, I know what you're talking oh, about. Oh, it's, you know, people will give James Cameron so many accolades for the big, you know, explosive moments. But it's little moments like that that are so simple that just sell the reality of this movie. Yeah, I, I mean, and the little parts too in that scene where he uh, picks up, uh, I think it's the grenade launcher. Yeah. And, and, and you know, holds it and looks and smiles back at John Connor and right. he says uh, oh it's 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 definitely you right um just those little moments too that i think really uh go, going back to what we were talking about before like add a a little touch to the terminator that didn't need to be there but it's no. nice yeah. that it is and i love the moment too where sarah's digging bullets out of his back oh yeah <laughs> it's just so cool like you never see that in a movie like i love that terminator 2 has all these moments that I would never see in any other movie. Like, they feel... when Watching Terminator 2, it was like, I've never seen this before. I've never seen this before. Yeah, so, I guess, I mean, there, I mean, there's so many great scenes in this movie, both in terms of action set pieces and just um, the expository scenes and non-action pieces. If you were to pick out something that was maybe on the negative side, is there anything that jumps out at you? Or is this just a movie that from start to finish, from the from the moment that score hits and the... Uh, pre- oh, Brad Fidel, by the way, his score. He did the score for the first Terminator as well, but this time, I mean, he's on fire. The opening credits is one of the greatest compositions ever. When that clanging metal sound kicks in... 
Oh my god. Yeah, it's yeah, I mean so I mean kind of getting to my point yeah. which is from the opening score to that uh pre-credit scene in the future uh, uh you know up to the end where he sticks his thumb up as he's lowered into the lava and Linda oh, Hamilton dri- don't get me started and Lin- on that. Linda Hamilton's driving down the highway re- yeah. reciting uh what the future's going to hold. I mean is there a part of this movie that you know going back to it now several years later where where you think yeah, I mean, that, that's a part where it, it stalls a bit or it could be made a sure. bit better. I mean, I can nitpick and say some of the exposition is a little bit belabored. You know, like the Dr. Silberman for his first scene is a little clunky. But overall, I, I kind of think this is a perfect movie in a lot of ways. Like, this really is a perfect action movie. I don't know what you can really improve. I mean, yeah, maybe Edward Furlong, the performance is a little bit rough in spots, but... He feels like a kid, and it works for the movie. So, ultimately, like I really think Terminator 2 is as perfect as any Arnold Schwarzenegger movie gets. Yeah, it's unfortunate. I'm on the same... Yeah. I'm on the same uh, I wish I had points, you know, <laughs> to really poke at it with. But. Yeah, I'm kind of on the same page as you. I mean, it's it's pretty hard to, to get much better in terms of an action movie goes. You know, you referenced earlier Arnold with the thumbs up. Let's just talk a little bit about that end sequence, because... This is a movie that is like two hours of incredible moments. You know, you have Arnold with the minigun mowing guys down, with the zero fatality count. You have the helicopter chase. You have all these incredible sights throughout this movie. And then, you know, you get to this big finale. Well, I mean, how are they ever going to deliver anything as good as what's come before? You know, so many movies we see, the finale just kind of peters out. And we're going to see other Arnold movies coming up where the finale is kind of a shoulder shrug. Mm-hmm. Um... But in this one, you have this whole battle in this steel plant, and it's incredible. It just has so many unforgettable moments. The the most dangerous steel plant in America, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) But I love, you know, watching Arnold clash with the T-1000 and being impaled with the pipe. And, you know, after he shooed John Connor away. And there's always this sense of escalating stakes because we saw in the original Terminator, the Terminator got broken down more and more and we wanted it to get broken down. We were like, come on, let this thing die, let this thing die. Whereas in this case, we're seeing the Terminator also get broken down again and again, but we don't want it to get broken down. So it's almost like this ticking clock of will this thing stop the T-1000 before it breaks down. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I guess going back to that steel plant thing, if, if I were to pick mm, okay. a, a negative thing, um, and again, it might be getting too nitpicky, but sure. But some of the things, uh, and I know that some of them are done for dramatic effect, but some of the continuity issues, I've always wondered. I mean, it's a spectacular scene, and uh, you know, instant, instantly memorable, like so many in this film, where the T one thousand is in the uh, truck of liquid nitrogen, yep. and gets out and breaks apart, right. As as he walks and then freezes solid. Yeah, incredible moment. Before almost, almost as good as the Demolition Man one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> also an incredible film. Um, and then you know Schwarzenegger takes his the the only weapon he has left, the handgun, and and blasts him apart. Right. Uh, you know, even as a kid, I remember the first time watching that. I remember thinking, well, why doesn't someone just run up and kick all those frozen pieces aside right. into a vat of steel now. Yes. Why Why wait for him to reform? It seems like it's not going to get better than this. <laughs> I'm willing to allow it. Yeah, and, and same thing in the steel plant. Um, and it's something that has always bothered me uh, about about Terminator 2. Uh, probably the, the, the one thing that's really bothered me about Terminator 2, mm. which is they've gone to uh, Cyberdyne Systems, 
for the purpose of taking the arm and the chip right and throwing it into the molten metal pit sure uh and then in the course of battling the T-1000, uh, the Terminator, Arnold Schwarzenegger, has his arm caught in the gears of the steel factory. Yes. And then they throw in the chip, they throw in the arm from Cyberdyne, they throw in the Terminator, they throw in the T-1000. Yeah. And then they just leave. They just leave that other arm, as far as we know, stuck in the wheels. Uh, was, it, was it so mashed to pieces that it didn't matter? I don't know. I just know that that uh, <laughs> that particular issue yeah. has, has always stuck with me, and I've always thought, man, like, I wonder if Terminator 3 is going to just rely on this other arm. You know what? I recall a lot of gossip going around when Terminator 3 was announced that people did predict that would be a plot element. Thankfully um, it wasn't. Yeah, thankfully the speculation was unfounded <laughs> and they just chose to ignore it. I'm sure uh, probably James Cameron has explained somewhere that yeah, yeah, no, they went back and they got it and they threw it in. Yeah. Um, I love how the T-1000 dies in this movie where Arnold comes up and, you know, maybe if I have a slight nitpick it's how, you know, Arnold gets impaled and all the electricity goes nuts and then he turns off but then he reboots because he kind of has to to save the day. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> but you know what? I'm going to allow it because it's great. But, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, he comes up on that rotating gear or whatever and shoots the T-1000 with the grenade. And he explodes into this horrific looking whatever, like figure with all these heads and arms all over the place. Falls in the lava. And this sequence where the T-1000 breaks down, I'll never forget it. It's horrible like it's really off-putting to watch like watch this liquid metal thing thrash around and have all these like it looks like some like a creature burning in hell or something yeah with all these uh, with all the faces of, yeah, of the of uh, torment of the individuals who yeah. have uh, Jeanette Goldstein and uh, you know that cop with the mustache that's that's right and then that the the final scene where it breaks down where it becomes a face with a mouth and then the mouth just turns itself inside yes. out yes yeah, I mean, and you th you think about the the technological limitations that they were working with at the time, and the fact that they were able to do this. And I think that effect holds up. It does. I mean, it you know, I mean, if you really want to put the magnifying glass to it, I mean, you can tell it's it's computer generated, but it again, it, it really doesn't detract at all. It's still a spectacular scene. But do you find that T one thousand death like? Do you find it fun, or do you find it like kind of? ugly to watch it's kind of unnerving yeah right like it doesn't feel like a big victorious fist pumping like isn't this fun kind of moment you're kind of like Ugh. <laughs> yeah which is which is good because then of course they lead you immediately into uh this terminator um who you've kind of grown to be attached to over yeah. the course of the film and john and sarah having to lower him next yeah. into the same molten pit um that is an amazing moment. Like, there is so much emotion in this Terminator going down into this molten pit. And, like, I've seen this movie more times than I can count. And that scene will never not work. It's like E.T. going home at the end of E.T., you know? <laughs> I will always cry at the end of E.T., and did, like, did you, did you cry at the end of Terminator 2? I don't 2? cry at the end of Terminator 2, <laughs> but it definitely hits me on an emotional level, like, very strongly. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I know what you mean. It's uh, you kind, of, you kind of feel like it's not only the Terminator going down into this molten pit; it's also Arnold Schwarzenegger's career and my childhood and your childhood. Yeah, you know, I'm leaving childhood behind and going forward. And again, not to say that Arnold's career was uh, was done at this point, but that that thumb going down that yeah. was the that was the the last uh, well he, point of true greatness. I think he may have really thought that after uh, Last Action Hero came out the next summer and bombed. 
Yeah, we'll get we'll, like, we'll we'll get to last action hero. I'm excited to do that one. Yeah, again. yeah, me too. Um, but you know, I was watching really closely that scene where he gets lowered into the molten metal, and I couldn't figure out how they did it because it's clearly Arnold Schwarzenegger, but there's fire all around him as he's going down. Like it looks incredible to this day. I've watched you know this movie countless times. The movie is what almost 30 years old, and uh, I still watch it. And I'm like, how'd they do that? You're asking the wrong guy. Yeah, I, I, it's it's a hell of an effect. I, I regularly set my alarm clock for p.m. instead of a.m. by accident. <laughs> so uh, how, how they did that effect in that scene, I don't know. And, you know, we've seen so many movies with CG fire. And it, it looks terrible. It can look horrible. So if this was CG fire, they did it better than movies still can do it. <laughs> you we, know, talk, we talked about The Expendables a while back. And, like, that had CG fire. And that movie was made almost 20 years later. And it looked horrible. Yeah, you know, I don't think it was CG fire. I, I think because I think the first um, film that had really pinned down CG fire was um, Fellowship of the Ring. Because right. I, I remember there being a lot of discussion about how they, they weren't able to do the Balrog and uh, a big amount of the technology to do the CG fire for films going forward came, right. came out of that scene. I remember actually the movie Ghost Rider. Uh, it's a pretty terrible movie, but it has some shots of the Ghost Rider with the flaming skull and the fire actually looks good. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of the kind of the bigger action scenes, not so much, but there are quieter still shots of the, the Ghost Rider where it has a really realistic look. Yeah, so for Terminator 2, I mean, for that scene, I'm not sure if it was, maybe it was a practical effect, um, but maybe it was digital, maybe a, probably a blend of the two is, is the most likely. I guess so. It just looks so incredible. Speaking of how good this movie looks, too, we should also give Adam Greenberg uh, some props, the uh, director of photography. I thought he did an incredible job in this movie in that it feels like it's set in the real world, but uh, it also has a very slick, epic look to it. And he did the original Terminator, and boy, he got to come back with some money this time. Yeah, he also did Snakes on a Plane, apparently. Well, you know, <laughs> they all wind up somewhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, look up uh, the, the filmography of Dean Cudney, who did the Indiana Jones movies. He did Jurassic Park. And then look at the later stages of his career where he's doing, like, Home Again starring Reese Witherspoon. <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know, it's the way it goes sometimes. It's a, you know, it's a working man's world out there. That's right. That's right. But this movie is such a technical marvel across all of its departments that it's kind of a miracle that it happened with a sequel. I mean, I think it's really telling that when people talk about the great sequels, you hear names like The Godfather 2, The Empire Strikes Back, you hear um, The Dark Knight nowadays, and you hear Terminator 2. To a lot of people, Terminator 2 became the definitive Terminator movie. Is that the way you feel? You know, I'm not going to go that far because I still love the first one. Mm -hmm. I think the first one's still just a, like a spectacular movie and... Um, Probably in terms of being, you know, educational to other filmmakers. I mean, showing what could really be done with a movie on a, sl a smaller budget. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I won't say it's the, the definitive movie, but it's definitely the bigger movie. And it's definitely the bigger action movie. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely slicker than the original Terminator. The original Terminator had a real, like, rough-hewn kind of throwing it together, but winding up with absolute gold kind yeah, of quality yeah. to it. Whereas, like, Terminator 2... They were not underdogs going in. Everyone wanted this movie. The studio wanted this movie. They had a huge bankroll to do it. But they delivered. Like, they delivered in a way that so many blockbusters don't. Like, look at the Avengers, you know, the first Avengers, which people fell in love with. 
Mm-hmm. And they were like, what are you going to do for Avengers 2? People didn't like Avengers 2 very much. It's like the um, the sheer pressure of following up that first film, even though they had more money, did not result in a better film. For that matter, as far as I can tell, people didn't really like any Terminator movie subsequently. No, and I think it's going to be really interesting delving into those and see how much of that is based on the merits of the individual film versus comparing it to Terminator 1 and 2. I'm hoping in revisiting those movies that I can appreciate them as like a standalone movie. Like I'm not reflecting back on our episodes doing these two Terminator movies and being like, boy, those were so much better. Yeah, I miss this those is painful. Days. Yeah. <laughs> God, I'm here with Genesis. <laughs> okay, so any final thoughts on Terminator 2? No, I don't think anything that hasn't been been said here. <laughs> I mean, uh, normally I think we like to give a little bit of critical balance. Sure. Uh, and so... Uh, it's I do, hard with some. Yeah, I do feel a little bit bad because this movie really is just such a fantastic film. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, I'll be surprised if, if the people listening to this podcast haven't seen it. But if you haven't seen it, please, please do yourself a favor and, and go watch it. If you haven't seen it recently, go watch it again. Yeah, um, I've seen this movie countless times. I know throughout the duration of my life I'm going to watch it several more times. I find it's really cool, actually, to leave gaps where I don't see it for like five or six years. Then I wind up revisiting it like a couple times, you know, two or three times in succession over a very short period of time. Because I'm just like, oh man, this movie's even, you know, more incredible than I remembered it being. Yeah, like I say, I mean, for me, it was actually interesting watching it on the smallest screen possible. Right. Uh, It actually made me appreciate uh, (laughs) the film even more. All right, so as people who've been listening to us for a while know, Cam, one of our favorite features to do on Arnie Geddon here is Spot Sven, where we try to find Sven Ole Thorsen in Schwarzenegger's films uh, Sven Ole Thorsen of course being uh the actor slash stunt double slash body double who's appeared <laughs> slash sex symbol icon that's right who's appeared in more Schwarzenegger films than any other actor except even Schwarzenegger <laughs> <laughs> even Schwarzenegger yeah uh so uh, according to IMDB here uh, Sven is an uncredited mall security guard yeah, I couldn't spot him. I couldn't spot him either, and we uh, we tried. We watched a bunch of different right. scenes more than once, and and we couldn't. So, if you do happen to see him out there, <laughs> please let us know where he is. He's apparently there, according to the internet, but uh, apparently my eyes aren't that sharp these days. If you can spot Sven, you're a better Sven spotter than we are. <laughs> <laughs> Look for Waldo while you're at it. I'm curious, did you ever see Terminator 2 3D? Battle Across Time uh, at Universal Studios. No, no, I didn't. I, but, I mean, um, I'm definitely interested in checking it out if it's available. Because nope, it's gone. Is it gone? Yeah, unfortunately that's, they that's closed too it bad. down. Yeah. Um, they closed it down to make way for Despicable Me, Minion Mayhem. Yeah, I, I mean, what I mean is it would be interesting. I'd love to just check it out, um, even if somebody had filmed it or if there was some footage available of it, because most of the actors, I think, came back and, and participated in it. And it was directed it. by James Cameron. Yeah. yeah, that's right. And Earl Bowen showed up, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I saw it in, I guess, 2001 when I went down to Universal. And it was really cool, because it is like a movie, but there's you know huge 3D elements. There's actors playing the characters coming out you know, out further on the stage. There's water sprayed on you to kind of resemble liquid metal. There's all these sorts of cool effects to go with it. And it's always a bummer when they close those rides down because you know they're not coming back. You know, they've closed down so many, like Backdraft, and they're closing down the Jurassic Park ride and reimagining that. 
And I wish there was like a theme park for rides that have been retired. Just, just uh, you know, some uh, some acreage in the Nevada desert yeah. with uh, some creepy animatronics. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you and I need to get started on that. Maybe yeah. that could be our future project. You know, that would be a great setting for a film. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so I think that brings us to the end of Terminator 2 Judgment Day, a movie that still holds up just as well as it did the day it came out, pretty much, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so what are we going to do next? Well, we're going to be taking a look at the sixth day on our next episode. Which day? The sixth day. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> a movie that I have almost completely forgotten. So I'm really interested in revisiting it and seeing what I think because I don't have really strong memories of it. This is one of those movies, uh, I think along with maybe End of Days, that was at the, uh, maybe at the tail end of Arnold's blockbuster phase. Yeah, and I think Collateral Damage closed it out. Yeah, that's probably accurate. And um, I, haven't, I haven't seen it for some time, and I, I, my recollection of it is it's, it's a movie that has been treated a little bit unfairly by the critics. So I'm looking at watching it again and seeing if that's accurate or if I'm totally out to launch on that. Well, I'm looking forward to that, too. Okay, so, of course, you can also find us on Twitter at ArnieGeddonPod. You can email us at ArnieGeddonPod at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Cam V as in Vista, comma, Hosta, Smith. Yeah, and you can also find us on our website, uh, ArnieGeddon.com. Uh, and you can find me, if you'd like to email me, Tony G. Tony as the name, G as the letter at arniegeddon.com and you can also download our podcast wherever quality podcasts are held yeah if you've enjoyed listening to the podcast give us a good review on itunes it helps us with tracking it boosts us further up on the list of arnold schwarzenegger podcasts and <laughs> film podcasts and all that sort of stuff so it helps us a great deal we're not asking you for money or anything like that just you know your little wait, wait a sec do you think they'll give us money oh hold on maybe we should be asking for money Let's start with ratings. Okay, we'll start with ratings, and then we're going to go for your wallet after that. But uh, yeah, that's always appreciated. Okay, so we'll be back with the sixth day. Sixth day.